0: for Facebook to turn on and there we go hello hello happy Friday it is May 22nd and we're doing a special uh, Friday as usual live stream Q&A and uh, just also so happens to be my 32nd birthday so hello and thanks for being here and um, I got some questions from this week oh, happy to take questions here live this will be a lot of fun and uh, I hope that everyone's having a great week. I'm. Uh, thank you very much. I see happy birthdays coming in. What's happening? Thomas, real Vince Gill. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, and let's see. So there's some questions that are uh, in here asking about some stuff. And uh, we'll be taking questions live. And uh, I just want to say that I wanted to put out a shout-out to... Uh, Steve Davis, Andre Hayward, and Paul Diemer. Uh, obviously everyone knows Steve Davis, great trombonist, uh, and Andre Hayward. And last night they did a great masterclass with Paul Deemer, who is the professor at UT Austin in, in Austin. Uh, and uh, they did a, re- a really nice masterclass last night that I got to attend just talking about jazz language and just uh, jazz vocabulary as language. And it was just a great reminder for me of um, of what I try to impart on my students and just a good and just another yeah just a good reminder. So what's up Will Holly? Thanks for the happy birthday. appreciate that. Hope you're doing well up in New York. Um, so anyway, that was a really great masterclass. I think Paul's probably doing more. So just a shout out to Paul Deemer on uh, on the Q&A or not the Q&A, the masterclass uh situation. So I hope everyone's having a great Friday. It's Memorial Day weekend in the United States. Uh, and uh, I'm going to try to take this weekend take, to uh, regroup a little bit. I don't know what everybody else is doing. It's not the usual Memorial Day weekend. Usually people will be out uh, doing lots of different stuff. And my birthday doesn't usually land on Memorial Day weekend. So it's a little uh, strange that it's so early in the month. But um, nonetheless, long weekend. Going to take the time to... Um, kind of revisit goals. And uh, that's kind of something I want to talk about today uh, after we get through some of the questions is just what that process might be like and how it might be time for, for you as well, because uh, it's definitely something that I'm thinking about. It might be time for you as well to revisit some of the your goals because it is actually almost halfway through the year, right? So it's almost June already. Maybe it's not quite because it's only five months through, but it feels like a whole year has gone by in the last three months. So. Uh, I'm going to take some time and we'll get to that <coughs> in a little bit after we get through some of the questions for today but yeah, so, and as, as always feel free to drop questions in um, throughout the week and also as we are live here on Facebook and live on Instagram so I see one question already here from that was uh, somebody dropped it in a second ago from Chris Bianco CRI underscore Bianco six he says do you like Billy's bounce who doesn't like a good Billy's bounce yes it's, a good, it's one of those good first bebop tunes to learn. Uh, it's not a tune I would necessarily call it a jam session, but uh, it's definitely good to learn, and it's one of those ones that's gonna come back for you again and again and again. So uh, don't, don't, uh, don't sleep on Billy's Bounce. Uh, everybody, everybody knows Billy's Bounce, so definitely. Definitely, although I like um, some other uh, bird blueses better, but um, that's neither here nor here, neither here nor there. So Jonah, Jonah Portinari, he writes how – that's the question that's on the screen right now on Instagram. Uh, feel free to drop some on Facebook. We can get those on the screen as well. Rob Parton says, happy birthday. Thanks, Rob. Pretty much appreciated. Um, how do you write voice-leading etudes like the ones in Get Set? So Get Set, if you don't know, is a, is a collection of etudes that I put out um, in April. Or was it the end of March? I can't remember, maybe the end of March, uh, beginning of April, and it's voice leading etudes. So what are voice leading etudes? In my mind, they're etudes that use the harmony of jazz standards, and they they show us how to connect the chords together by playing multiple voices. So it's it's in the spirit of, obviously not quite as good as, but in the spirit of Bach, in the spirit of that kind of Baroque counterpoint, meaning that we have like bass motion, we have like a, uh, maybe a tenor voice, like an inside voice, and then a melodic voice. So, uh, in those etudes, I, I, each etude in that book has a companion. That's like one's like regular jazz vocabulary type thing. Like maybe it would be something like an improvised solo, kind of this regular the regular jazz etude kind of thing. And then the the other one is like this uh, ja- uh, voice leading etude. So if I can demonstrate, you know, everybody knows probably the um, opening of Bach Shell right I got a lot of water so that that's like a G major chord and then it goes
1: and
0: then we have a C in second inversion and then then we have a D7 over G right, and then it goes back to one again. So it's that idea of taking that type of line where there's ba, 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 three voices, right, and then we move them through and they change maybe by a step or a whole step or a step or a minor third, whatever, and so then you kind of combine that together and try to take that idea and then put it onto um, jazz standards. So my original idea with it was that I was actually going to I was actually going to uh, try to be able to improvise them. That was my original goal. And then I realized how insane it, that was gonna be, and I had to modify my goal uh, to uh, be more uh, pr- more um, realistic, I guess. And I had to, uh, <laughs> to to change it so that I was like, all right, now I'm just gonna make these etudes because uh, it's really hard to improvise that way. So I've tried to do some improvising that way, but if you take that same concept, the same thing that we did with the Bach etude, right? The, Now you take that and we move it to say, like all the things you are. You see how I'm just kind of focusing on the voice leading, and we can hear the sevenths going to the thirds. We're we're just for me a big thing to practice when you're practicing jazz and improvising is the voice leading separate from your melodic ideas because that voice leading needs to underlie to me your melodic ideas and your scalar ideas. And if you're not hearing that voice leading, it's really difficult to make melodies that kind of fit over the changes while you're playing them. So that's kind of where that came from. That's kind of where I started. So. I was originally trying to create solo trombone versions of these tunes that sounded like quote-unquote Bach-esque or Baroque-esque, and then eventually I gave up on that idea and um, moved towards this idea of writing etudes, and uh, it's been really successful. We sold a lot of copies, and people seem to be really digging them, so uh, if you haven't checked them out yet, feel free. Uh, Ben Barnett, thank you, sir. Mr. Jazzman, yeah, that's me. Thanks for saying what's up, Ben. Thanks for tuning in for a sec. Appreciate you. Miss you. Hope uh, Smalls opens back up soon. sooner than later. Uh, I really hope so. It'd be great to get back and playing at Smalls. Uh, all right, so some questions came in. All right, I'm going to... Here's a question that I don't have an answer to, so we'll do this one first. Uh, he says, best mic to use to achieve the blue note sound for drums. I'm pretty sure they're just overheads. Um, I'm not an audio engineer or an audiophile, so I'm going to send you to somebody else uh, that might have that answer. I don't have it, but I do know that it's less mics is better, more room sound, more overhead, and trying to get a more balanced sound, if if you're going for that blue note kind of vibe. Um, And a lot of times the drums are hard panned, um, meaning like all the way one direction or the other. And some of them, sometimes even on those records, like the right and the left side of the drums will be hard panned. Um, but if there's any drummers in the house, they can uh, maybe lend some other perspective. Or I could bring them live onto the chat uh, to talk about Blue Note sound for drums. But that would be outside of my uh, particular realm of expertise. And I try not to talk about things that I have no idea about. So that, that's about as much as I got for you on, on that one, Jay Renda. Sorry. Wish I could give you a better answer. All right. Here's one from Will Hawley. So what are your thoughts on translating jazz vocabulary to other genres? And what do you consider? Ooh, it's a long question. Can I say that? And what do you consider when you are playing styles that aren't necessarily like jazz, I'm guessing, is what the what he's asking. I can't do the whole thing doesn't fit there. But, um, whoa, man, uh, this is a good question. Um, I think that a lot of times our chromatic stuff that we put into bebop doesn't necessarily fit in other styles, you know? Oh, there we go. See, Will Holly knew exactly. I, this, I thought two overheads. Uh, he says, Neumann U47 condensers for overheads. Yeah. I thought that that was what I was thinking. So <coughs> there you go. Will Holly for the win. Thank you, Will. Um, I think you have to transcribe stuff that's in the style of other styles. You know what I mean? Like if I'm going to play some – Old school funk. I'm gonna try to listen to Fred Wesley and try to play more of that vocabulary, less chromaticism. You know, it's like the same to me. It's like the same as um, you're not gonna play Train over um, like high fives or hot sevens. You got you want to play the vocabulary of um, that thing. You know, for me, it's hard to escape playing or hearing that kind of more bebop chromatic harm. You know aimed harmony just because that's what i'm like super deep into it's hard for me to disconnect from that and and play more uh diatonic or whatever but i think there's like definitely like a vocabulary of like for example like new orleans funk has like a kind of vocabulary and then there's like fred wesley kind of funk and then there's like west coast kind of funk stuff like it's all kind of has its own its own uh vocabulary so i would listen to other instrumental stuff in the style of the what you're trying to um, emulate I mean you're great Will so I'm sure that you're already doing this um, but I that's kind of that's kind of um, what I think about it what do you think about it I'm sure that you probably would th- say the same same thing or something similar I would guess um, Yeah, so when I'm playing the style, my job is like, if it's not my group or my thing, then my job is to play in the style that the band leader wants me to play in. So if that's like super kind of Neo Soul vibes or like super hard or like super like rock loud, like, you know, trombone shorty or something like that, I think they all kind of have different flavors. And so having a a sense of what those flavors are and then being able to kind of sprinkle them as needed is kind of how I feel about it. But uh, that that just goes to the, idea that you got to be as informed as possible, as informed as possible of various musical styles in order to be a freelancer and be someone that can work in a lot of scenes uh, and do a lot of different stuff if you just want to um, work. But if it's in my group my or like a jazz setting where I'm just doing my thing and people hire, you know, hire me to do my thing, I guess, then it's just kind of doing whatever. Yeah, he says, you definitely hit where my head is at. Chromaticism doesn't Fit the style, but I think Fred is probably the closest to true bebop-ish language in the funk idiom. Yeah, when I met Fred, when I, Fred was one of the first I've told my students this story before, but Fred was one of the first jazz trombonists I met back in Rochester. There was like an event that was called um, Trombone Circus of all things, and <laughs> the guests were Bob McChesney and uh, and, and Fred Wesley, and uh, he was just talking about how he wanted to be Curtis, and so. Uh, He was talking about transcribing Curtis and um, like just trying to play straight ahead and uh, wasn't necessarily didn't really want to be in the funk scene, but kind of landed there. And kind of it took over from there, but um, that he just wanted to kind of play bebop and and, uh, transcribe all that bebop language. But yeah, I'm kind of where where you're at, Will, with that, like playing doesn't really fit when you're playing like a one chord groove to me. But to each is our own, I suppose. That's a really good question. Thank you, Will, appreciate that, man. Hope you're doing okay. I saw your uh, story earlier about um, the lack of work, and I definitely think um, everybody's going through that. So uh, keeping keeping my thoughts for everybody that's uh, struggling you know, through this time, but we will figure it out, we will figure it out. All right, next question from Kobe underscore Heath. He says, is it valuable to play more than one instrument in the music world? Could you make more money being able to play multiple instruments? Well. Um, I think that's well. Nice. I also check send me send me a link, Will, to your record. I want to check it out. I want to ch- take a listen. I don't know if I saw a post about it. I'll go looking for it, but send me a send me a link. Um, or you can put it in the chat so everybody can see it. Kobe Heath. Okay, so is it val- more valuable to play more than one instrument? And, you know, I know a lot of people whoa, dropping stuff. Um, know a lot of people that are multi instrumentalists that do really well, um, especially as brass players that can play like tuba and bass trombone and trombone. They can work more than if you just play one trombone. You know, you can work on Broadway and do that kind of stuff, although nobody's doing anything now. But uh, I don't, I've never met a great improvising trombonist that can't play at least a little bit of piano, for example. Um, but just enough to like play along with your students or different things like that. Riley, I see your message, thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Um, and what was I saying? Oh yeah, so but I don't, but I think there is also, like some people are really great at playing almost anything, there's a great, uh, a great, A ranger orchestrator in New York named um, Charlie Rosen. He plays like almost everything. You know, he's playing all these different instruments. Michael Dees plays tenor saxophone, all the saxophones, and trombone, and bass. And like, I I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with learning other instruments. I'm trying to learn uh, drums and piano, and I wanted to learn bass, but I don't have a bass to learn on at the moment. But I don't think it can ever hurt. I think it's important to have a primary, probably, because especially as on a brass instrument, you've got to uh, put in the time. You know, put in the time with the fundamentals and put in the time really making sure that you got uh, so- solid technique and all of that stuff. Not that you don't with other instruments, but um, I think it gives you perspective. I think uh, playing more than one instrument can obviously lead you to work more. Like and like, if you want to work in a wedding band, if you can program synthesizers, you know, and play horns, you're gonna do a lot better. You know, there's a good friend of mine that's been playing with a lot of pop artists, like Macklemore, and who else he been playing with? Was it Pink? Yeah, he was playing with Pink, I think. He was playing keyboards and trombone and singing. Darius, uh, Darius Christian, I think, is his. Uh, Darius Jones is his name, but Darius Christian, is, I think, is his Instagram handle. And he's been doing all kinds of uh, pop stuff in the pop world, and so. I would say that learning other instruments and being able to do more stuff is never gonna hurt you in terms of working. Where it might hurt you is in terms of being able to develop fully as an artist on that one voice. So if you don't, but if you don't feel like you have a singular voice, you know, like I don't feel like my voice is extended to trombone or bass trombone, but I can play trombone and uh, bass trombone and tuba. I'm trying to say tuba, I said trombone. Uh, Trombone and tuba, I don't feel like that's like really my like place you know, or my voice. So I don't necessarily focus on it, but it's not that I don't work on it from time to time and use it as an employment tool. That's for sure. So that's a really good question. But there are people out there that um, specialize in doing just that. So you got to know, especially in a place like New York or LA, there's people that do, you know, specifically that, like go play movie scores and can play contrabass trombone and bass trombone and Alto trombone and all the trombones, and so and it's the same with woodwinds, even more for woodwinds playing flute, clarinet, all the saxophones, double reeds for some people, you know. So definitely worth considering uh, if you are a person that's considering a career in music as a freelancer, you know, that's for sure. So here's a question from Facebook. Switch it up a little bit here for a second. Thanks for joining. If you've been just joined, Will, I see it. I see your link there. Thank you. I don't know if I can click on it. Uh, but I will check that out. And then, uh, so Luis Flores, he says, I like change of volume and dynamics in the solos. I feel that sometimes we might flatline the solos. How to implement dynamic changes in one's music? Well, I think that comes from being aware of the overall big picture of the music in general and not being too obsessed with the technical elements all the time and being more focused on the emotional and interaction and, just being aware of the those musical elements, I mean that's some stuff that like I write into music a lot of time and I just tell my band let's make a big deal out of this. you know it's like we usually just swing for this whole time, so let's make a big deal out of this dynamic change or let's like do this or that. Um, I think it's really important to just you have to think about that uh, thing you have to think about that musical element first right that's kind of what I'm thinking Thinking of put the music first I've said this before in other live streams but it's the question to ask yourself is what does the music need right now it's not like what do I want to play right now it's like does the music need to be louder or softer and that goes right to Luis's question about implementing dynamics while you're soloing you know it's it's super super important and you have to both follow and lead as the soloist you know you have to listen and uh respond, but also you know, lead the band be like, oh, I hear you and let's go there. Or no, we need to go here, the music needs to go up or it needs to go down or it needs to swing or it needs to go to a new feel or it needs to, you know, there's a lot of things that it could do. So uh, don't be afraid to listen to the band and to listen to um, what everyone else is doing. But ask yourself that question, what does the music need right now? And keep that big picture uh, mentality going while you're uh, soloing so that you can have dynamics and musicality as part of what you're improvising because you're not just improvising notes and rhythms, it's the musicality and emotion and all of that stuff is all right there together. So definitely um, that's what I try to do. I try my best to keep that in mind while I'm playing and soloing and uh, playing with my band for sure. So if you're just joining, I just saw somebody just signed up for our Jazz Trombone Bootcamp, virtual Jazz Trombone Bootcamp. So if you don't know what that is, uh, we're hosting a week of master classes and just kind of all day sessions, not all day, but uh, <clears throat> from about 11 to five Eastern time. So you can translate that to your uh, time zone. But now I just saw an order come in and there's only three spots left uh, for that camp. And that's June 15th through June 19th. And I'm really excited about it, which is why I'm going there. And then I'll get back to questions, not to make this too much of an infomercial, but um, it's uh, going to feature some amazing, amazing people. James Burton III on trombone, Ryan Kebberley on trombone, Marshall Jokes on trombone, Michael Deese on trombone, Elliot Mason on trombone. Uh, I don't know a place where you can get all five of those trombonists in one place. And uh, we only have three spots left. So uh, we had four until right now, somebody just signed up. So I encourage you, if you're one of those people that are waiting around, don't, uh, don't. Because uh, I'm very very gonna be very strict on the 15 people because uh, we want everybody, everyone to be able to play in master classes, and if there's too many people, they won't be able to play. So uh, that's the deal there. So thank you for all the nice birthday wishes. I see a bunch coming in here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Much appreciated. Uh, for my birthday, what I did was try to beat my 5K time. <laughs> I was going to try to run a marathon, but then my body, I did a half a couple weeks ago, and my body felt like maybe it wasn't ready for it. So I decided to beat my 5K time, and I'm pretty sure I did. I did 22 minutes, 29 seconds. So um, for me, that was pretty good. Not obviously that fast. People are way faster, but uh, I felt pretty good about it. All right, let's see what other questions we had come in here. Uh, here's one from a, a bot. Hey, do you need music marketing or biz? No. <laughs> okay, there's some more questions. Sorry, it's taking me so long to get to them. So, this is from JL, Yoop Trombone. Hey, sir, any tips for a trombone improvisation solo on a big band piece? Sure. Uh, important things that I think about when I'm playing with a big band and doing a solo that maybe are a little different than with a small group are one, you got to. Try to fit into the overall composition. So like what role does the solo play in the overall composition? This is very much tied to what we were just talking about with improvising in a small group and asking that question, what does the music need right now? I agree with you, Gers. We need a virtual birthday party. We should do that. I don't know how, but we, we should. Um, try to think about the overall shape of what role your solo is playing in the tune. What, uh, is it like, um, a counter to the main theme. Is it, are you um, playing as a foil to a saxophone solo? Are you the feature? Is it all about you? Is it really just a moment, a texture? Um, trying to find out what role your solo plays in the overall context, number one. And number two is what backgrounds are happening and how do you have have your solo interact with the backgrounds? So meaning um, if there's hits, play in between the hits. Uh, if there's pads, know where those come in. Know what the voicings are, so maybe you don't land on the same notes that the trombones are holding underneath you. You know, you want to know kind of what's happening. So just you try to use your ears and hear through. Uh, But obviously, you can't do it the first time. So the first time, if we're sight-reading a trombone solo on a big band piece, we want to be asking ourselves that question, that same question that I said a couple times already here today, which is, what does the music need right now? So that's the the question to ask. Listen more to the band than to yourself. Um, Listen more to the orchestration. Listen to the voicings, all that kind of stuff. But try to make your solo fit in, you know. That's what I think is important about doing it on a big band piece because it's very, very different when you're soloing on, like, a Count Basie or Duke Ellington-style piece versus, like, a Bob Brookmeyer or Jim McNeely kind of piece. Like, you're in the more modern, I guess, composers. Like, your your solo tends to be more of – Playing a role, than it does like just just play whatever you want, you know. Your job is to move the music forward in some kind of way uh, that maybe it's not necessarily when it's um, part of just like a jam session, blowing session kind of tune. Uh, but yeah, that's what I think about uh, a couple tips for big band soloing for sure, for sure. Um, there's a couple more questions here. Let's check and see on Facebook. So feel free to drop in some questions if you're watching live. Um, be happy to answer. Thanks for the birthday wishes if you're uh, one of those people I, that dropped those in. I much, much appreciate that. So here's another question. How do you express yourself on super structured bebop tunes while still using vocabulary? I feel like I'm solving puzzle rather than expressing anything. From Drew B. Taylor. That is a great question. Um, You have to um, internalize it to the point where um, you're able to do that. So if you're still thinking about the structure and you're still thinking about the changes and you're still thinking about, you know, this chord leads to this chord leads to this chord, um, you're never gonna be able to do that, unfortunately. So for me, that means learning it on piano. That means learning to walk a bass line on the trombone. Anton Shelton, yes, it's my birthday. Uh, You have to... Use the vocabulary to serve your own purpose. You know, you can't, you can't just rely on the like plug and play. But that is the first step, I think. So if that's how you're feeling, you're feeling like you're solving a puzzle. That's how I always feel too. That's how I feel when I'm playing train changes. You know, like I feel like I'm just solving this mathematical equation sometimes. But you have to, to get beyond that. You have to get so comfortable that you can't not play the right notes. You know what I mean? Like you hear the notes and you. Uh, you hear the form and you hear, it's all internalized to a point where you're not thinking about it anymore. Um, And then you're free to play over it, you know? That's how you want to play over and through the changes rather than at the changes. And when you're doing the the puzzle solving part, that's when it sounds like So you have to get the changes so internalized that you can hear them in your mind, right? and then you have to uh, pick and choose where you're gonna play through it. So you're trying to play your melodies, I try to think about it this way, This maybe is confusing, but there's the, the harmony, right, and we understand, we internalize the harmony, we get it to a point where we're like super, super comfortable with it, and then we have to improvise through that harmony with our own ideas, and we have to fit the ideas to the harmony rather than playing the harmony. Let me say that one more time. We have to fit our ideas, our melodic and rhythmic ideas to the harmony rather than thinking about how to play the harmony. So it takes more steps, right? It takes more comfort. You can't really be looking at the lead sheet and reacting to the lead sheet there. You know you have to be you have to internalize it. you know you have to have it to a point where you're not thinking about it anymore. and you can that's how I feel like with something like stable mates, for example, there's so many changes that you just have to be able to play it on the piano without thinking and know what the changes are. So if that's how you're feeling, if you're in the puzzle solving uh, mode here, I think that uh, you still have some ways to go in the learning of the tune so that you can get to the point where you can freely improvise over it and through it. So, um, one exercise that I've made students do before and that I do for myself would be to be able to play through the changes on the piano and then sing and scat your own solo over it so that you're actually realizing both things at the same time. That's uh, how I put that into practice. And it's not something that you can just do. It's something you have to practice. And that's why we call it practice. You know, you're gonna sound bad at it for a while. And that's the hardest thing to do, uh, as a, especially as like a college-age musician or someone that can play, the horn you know to go into a place where you're sounding bad all the time because you can't yet realize the things that are in your mind you know you got to um you got to uh take that time and do it you know just take it's just how it is excuse me thirsty from that run i was telling you about excuse me all right i saw i wanted to go back and scroll up through this i see your question chuck uh, Anton Shelton, thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. Uh, okay, so Chuck wrote a question here. Hi, Nick, what advice do you have for me to develop my ear to be able to play on the horn what I'm hearing in my head? I know transcribing helps, but there are, are there other strategies as well? Uh, yes, so a couple things. One is to develop your ear in terms of recognizing intervals, recognizing triads, recognizing seventh chords. There's many, many apps you can use to develop that. Uh, and there's websites and all kinds of things to to, to work on that. So you want to develop just that those basic kind of steps of recognizing uh, intervals within an octave, and maybe above an octave, but may, mostly just within an octave. And then you want to do major triads, minor triads, diminished triads, augmented triads, and then you want to be able to recognize major sevenths, minor sevenths. Uh, and once you can do that, you can pretty much hear the qualities of most chords. Um, that's developing your ear, and then the next part applying it to your horn is the tricky part uh, so but the first thing is you got to be able to hear it and recognize it or else it's all just a uh, amalgamated mushed up uh thing uh not not super helpful so to do to your horn uh you got to sing stuff first and then play it so sing an idea play it on your horn sing an idea and we're just trying to get you know we're trying to get the time closer and closer from where Uh, You hear and think about the idea to be able to realize it. So sing it and play it. Try to sing it right at the pitch. So if that means you have to work on your singing a little bit to get it so you can actually sing on pitch, if you're not a person that can sing on pitch yet, um, that's important. Wycliffe Gordon has a book out called Sing It First, and Wycliffe was one of my early teachers, and so it's always been a part of what I try to do is be able to audiate um, what I'm hearing. Uh, so sing it and then play it and then we're just trying to get it closer and closer so then when you hear something if you can sing it then you're like then you can kind of figure it figure it out on the horn so develop the ear through ear training, sing stuff and try to play it on your horn and if that's uh, not happening in real time then one of my colleagues at UNT does uh, introduced this idea to me last year and I thought it was a great idea and I had never done it before um, but what he does in improv class is have the students, Uh, Lynn Seaton, the bass professor, he has the students um, learn a tune, obviously, improvise on the tune for a while, get used to that and then from there he'll have them scat a solo and record themselves scatting along to the rhythm section, right, and then transcribe their scatting and then not just transcribe it but actually then correct what they scatted. That was was the part that I thought was super interesting. um, To correct what they scatted and then to then play that, to sing and play that on their horns after that. And I, I found that a lot of students found that super helpful. So, um, scat in real time, a chorus, and then transcribe it. See where maybe you played some notes that you didn't mean to, or you scattered some notes that you didn't mean to, and then you can kind of quote unquote correct them to the notes that you meant to sing, and the, or that fit the chord maybe a little bit better. And then uh, and then the, that's the, more of that, uh, putting those two things together, putting your ear connected to your um, playing. So hopefully that helps, Check. I know it's a long, tedious process of trying to hear and play jazz. I see you, Gabe Med. How's it going, man? Uh, Oops, instead of seeing the questions, we've changed the, there we go. All right, back to see what other questions have come in. All right, I think we're good there. Feel free to drop anything in if you um, have any questions for today's live stream. Um, Thank you again for the birthday wishes, much appreciated. Let me go. Yeah, okay, yeah, Greg Gisbert always talks about editing your lines like that too. So this was something that, uh, for some reason, I had never done, but then that was a, a super helpful thing. Thanks, Gabe. Uh, yeah, so I'm glad to hear other. that's a thing that a lot of other people have done and um, that it's useful. So it's just the tedious work, you know, it's the work that we don't necessarily always want to do. It's the hard work, and that's why we have to be isolated in the practice room sometimes for a long time as jazz musicians, but um, or just musicians in general, not just jazz musicians, is uh, developing those skills, and they pay dividends in the long run. So uh, definitely work that ear, th- Connecting that ear and learning to hear more deeply is like one of the biggest, best things you can possibly do. So, all right. So if there's not any other questions, we'll maybe try to wrap up for today. But it's Friday, May 22nd. Uh, As of right now, if you've been thinking about signing up for the Jazz Trombone Boot Camp uh, from June 15th through 19th, someone just signed up, so we only have three spots left. So if you want to join, please... uh, Get on that sooner rather than later, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. Like I said, Elliot Mason, Marshall Jilkes, Ryan Keberly, James Burton, and Michael Deese. Uh, all of those five will be giving guest artist masterclasses, and I'll be kind of facilitating other topic sessions through the week, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. So Nick Finzer Music. Bootcamp, if you wanna do that. Uh, there's one more last minute question here I'll answer before we jump off for the, for the weekend. Uh, from Count J. Cuevas, he says, what do you think about buzzing? Um, I think that you don't actually really buzz when you play, so I don't do it that often. I have a video on YouTube that I talk pretty deeply about the buzzing stuff, so just type type in buzzing tips or something, yeah, buzzing tips, Nick Finzer on YouTube, and you'll be able to find that to get a more in-depth answer. But I find it can be useful, um, and I don't necessarily think that it's the same for every person. For some people, I think it's very useful. Um, but for me, it doesn't necessarily help. If I buzz too much, it makes my sound thin and spread, which is um, not always what we're looking for, that's for sure. So um, I think that. Uh, but if you do, you have to do it softly. Number one, if you are going to do it softly, I like to put a little bit of my finger over the hole to make sure that here I can demonstrate it, so you can see what I mean. So if I'm going to buzz. Like- I'm not going to buzz like that all the time. I'm going to put my finger over it, like maybe halfway. So that way, if I put it up here so you can see it, my finger's covering like, you know, half the hole or so. And that way um, that way there's a little bit of resistance. You don't have to push so hard because I find that it's a different back pressure when you're buzzing than when you're actually pu- <coughs> Fuck. Excuse me. Ugh. Um, so it's a, a little different back pressure than usual. So I try to avoid that. I'm just a mess today, apparently. Um, so I don't do it that much, but some people swear by it. So I, that's why I think you know brass playing is a really personal thing and there's a lot of ways to do it right. So um, I that's what I think about that. So go find that video. I, I go into it in a little bit more detail. Uh, with some specific exercises like and uh, some specific um, things to do where to put your finger all that kind of stuff but yeah all right so thank you very much for being here appreciate you all uh, we'll be back next week Thursday and Friday for our live streams uh, Thursday is our play along sessions and I'll I heard that uh, the mix was not very good yesterday so I'll try to fix that for next week uh, get that together. We're going to do another Wayne Shorter week. So Wayne Shorter again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern and then Friday 1 p.m. Eastern also for our little chat. So uh, as usual, feel free to send questions during the week and I'll collect them uh, for our chat or you can just drop drop by and drop them in. So appreciate you all. I hope you have a fantastic Memorial Day weekend if you're here in the United States. And if not, I hope everyone is staying Safe and staying healthy, and uh, staying sane. Most most importantly, so thanks again, and I will see you all soon. I hope.